So, I watched this documentary called Finders Keepers. And this is about a guy... You ever see, like, those kind of storage war things where it's, like, people bid on, like, abandoned storage lots? Mm -hmm. There's a This American Life on it, I think. Yeah. So, a guy bids on one of them. And in the storage lot, he finds, like, a barbecue grill. He opens it up, and he finds an amputated human foot. Like a a human A human foot. Okay. Semi-mummified. Like, not with bandages, but just, like, it's been preserved. But, like, is it smelly? I don't think so because of the way it was preserved. Is it slightly charred? No. It's not crispy. No, it's not crispy. No one tried to eat the foot. But, and this really, this is like the first part of this that really blew my mind, where his first instinct is, I'm going to make so much fucking money off this foot. How? He sets up like a freak show that's just the foot. But then the police confiscate it (laughs) and they take it, right? And he... Was part of a cadaver, yeah. Yeah. And... He's real indignant about this, and he's so indignant that he continues running his freak show, and the only, like, thing in the show is the grill that the foot was in, and he charges adults $3 and kids $1 to look at it. Fast forward a little bit, and the police are releasing custody of the foot, but the guys whose foot it was shows up and goes, I'd like my foot back, please. I lost it in a plane accident. And the other guy goes, fuck you, I paid for that foot. And the movie is about those two characters vying for control of the foot. Okay, is the movie a live-action retelling of this? Or is it, it actually is a, a documentary? documentary. Okay, that's insane. With footage of the two men. Footage. <laughs> yeah. Footage. Neve, get the fuck out. (laughs) Do the uh, two men ever, like, share a scene? Um, I think there is one scene... Yes, they do. And I don't want to reveal the context of it, but it's on national television. Because you know how in King of Kong, it shows, like, Steve Weeby and Billy Mitchell, but there's only, like, one scene where they're actually in the same room together. Yeah. But mostly it's just talking heads with them, like, trash-talking each other. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of that, and they hate each other. And... It just goes, like, this weird direction. Because, like, this occurrence on national television happens. And that kind of... Both... Neither of them in a good place. Neither of these people... Life has not worked out like they would have planned. Yeah, some guy lost his foot. Yeah, no. Some some guy has no foot. (laughs) But the guy who bought the foot... He has both his feet, but maybe... No soul? Maybe he has not developed as a human being should. And the way their lives go after television, after their like show on national television, it's it's really one of them things turn out real good, and the other, it's fucking dark. Dude. I hope like karmic retribution means that the guy without the foot and stuff takes it a gets turn it gets really way. emotional because the guy's like, yeah, I lost that foot in a plane accident. How did my, it get in the barbecue? Yeah. Where my dad was driving a plane and. The foot is the only thing I have to remember him by. But, 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 <laughs> my own foot is the only thing I have to remember But why was the foot from? in the barbecue grill if it was... In a, he it, wanted to preserve the foot, so... Smoking it? He... He's eating no, the foot. No, he, he had a separate process to, like, like do, like, an amateur kind of mummifying of the foot. And then he kept it in the barbecue grill. 
I think gave the barbecue grill to his mom, who put it in storage, who eventually forgot to pay for storage. The guy was not too concerned about his foot if he gave it to his mom, who put it in storage. Unfortunately, the guy who lost his foot also had several vices, we'll say, that may have meant he was not keeping track of things the way he should have been. And... So he's only got one real foot. Does he have a prosthetic foot? Yes. Okay, so like he's not in a wheelchair. He's just kind of got like a bit of a hobble. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Like like he probably can't run. And it's probably not well. No. <laughs> like, I just really want like one guy is running away with the foot and the other guy is like, but <laughs> that's not fair. And the other guy, the other guy, it's like he has a little pro wrestler in him and he's like cutting promos on the guy without a foot. And he's like, I guess you could say... I don't, this isn't what I'm saying. I'm quoting the film. I don't think this is that tasteful. But he's like, I guess you could say he doesn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> yeah, that's because he took it. It's Finders Keepers. It's on Netflix. And for our American listeners, who I know are the majority, I don't know if it's on American Netflix, but it is definitely worth track, tracking down because it's really, it's a wild ride. Good times. Let's fight a boss cast. Um, I am here with the machine hewn from flesh and bone, Neve. These feet were made for dancing. And the man who not even death can stop, the Grey Phoenix, Brian. That's right. They'll never make a film about me. And with you always, I'm your host, John. Neve, please tell me about the terrific world of Love, Life, Sunshine. This is a hard segue. (laughs) I'm hard on anime. I'm hard on a lot of anime. You're so hard. It's fucking ridiculous. Very, very dismissive. Very occasionally, Neve will just come out with the phrase, they never surpassed Evangelion. Despite having watched maybe four anime since Evangelion came out. I have watched a lot of anime Dragon Ball Z, Bleach, uh, Love, Life, Sunshine. That's all I got. This is part of the big tree. (laughs) Love, Light, Soul, and Shine is a really good idol anime. Like, I think that's a very well-constructed sentence. Yeah, it is. Like, okay, if you if you want singing and idols saving their school through the power of song, then Love, Life, Soul, and Shine is for you. If you're not down for singing and cute girls solving problems through their friendship and singing, don't watch the show. Like, there's nothing there for you. That is all it is. I watched the first episode of it. How do you feel? Um, that... That seems like a good idol anime, and I've watched no idol anime, so I don't really like... I don't know what's good or bad in that genre. It is really high production values. Oh my god. Like, the animation on it's beautiful. There's like episode seven, I think. It's the Yuri episode, so you get a girl in a white dress running towards another girl in the rain while crying. They like... They put all the budget into that episode. She's crying, it's a close-up, and there's individual strands of hair, like, just catching the light. And she finally meet, meets her friend, and she slaps her across the face. It's, like, it's, it's really dramatic shit, and it's, like, it's, it's, it's good. That sounds cool. You watched the same... You were in the room when I watched... Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. I watched the first episode, and um, it was... I was not dismissive of it. I was... I, I, th- I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I think had I had I a little more free time on my plate, that might be something I'd pursue. It's a good calm time. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, I've the only idle anime I ever watched always ends up being like super fucking weird. Like it's halfway through the episode and they're like, and it's like it's just an idle anime, and then they're like, oh shit, here come the aliens, and like mechs come out of the ground, and that's the anime. Yeah, this is just very much... It's like one of those weird worlds where that anime exists in where there doesn't seem to be any adults or boys. <laughs> that always weirds me out. It's so weird. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, there's someone flying them to Tokyo and they're staying in these places while performing and they have, like, managers or whatever. At least the old group of girls did Muse. Um, but you never see them, so it's like this weird shadow realm. That always feels kind of sinister to me. Mm-hmm. Like, not in a way that, like, there's anything sinister behind the production, but it's like... What happened on this planet? Do you think, mm-hmm. like, in the final scene, there'll be a twist and actually all, like, mental hospital patients? You could. You could do it. Or they're all connected through VR. Yeah. This is... It, it sounds like something like that, mm-hmm. where it's just, did you realize... And then you go back and you're like, yeah, there was nobody else in the world. Chiki-chan was just a brain in a jar the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to GameStop. How was that experience? The, the physical shop. It was fucking weird. I haven't been in a good long time. So the first thing I noticed, half the game shop, not games. Yeah, it's like maybe games. over half the games. It's like Minecraft t-shirts, pop vinyls, and like really overpriced figures. But the weirdest part was that when I went to... When I looked at the games, there was the highest concentration of weeb games that I've ever seen. Like... Anime fighters, anime RPGs, all that kind of shit. That is like, that was nearly like a third of their physical media. Why the hell do, do you think that's the kind of people who are buying like physical mm-hmm. games now? They do collector's editions, a lot of the bullshit anime yeah. things. So like if you want like Galgun physical edition, you can get it in GameStop. That's crazy. I presume, yeah, because if I was a co- like, if you're collecting stuff, you would probably want a physical copy of that. Yeah. But you would be more okay with just downloading a digital copy of something more AAA like Deus Ex or whatever. Yeah, it's so strange because it's like, now the gulf is like, it goes straight from like, like, Dengeki Bunko fighting Climax, which is just like the A1 pictures fighting game with like Kirito and stuff in it. And it goes from that to like FIFA 2016. Like those are the two kind of games that GameStop, GameStop stock now. Uh, FIFA 2016 is launching this week. Uh, so the game stops. I think it's out on Friday, uh, which is the day this podcast comes out. But let's say we rewind time a tiny bit and say that the Thursday, the day before, they'll be doing the midnight launches in pretty much all the game stops across Ireland. I don't know what it's like in America, but like FIFA. I'm sure FIFA and Madden probably have similar release strategies. Yeah. Uh, but like at that point, GameStop just becomes like a FIFA outlet for like mm-hmm. 24 hours and it gets insane. But then it also has all the anime bullshit and then, like, you know, kid games. And, like, it was really specific. And, like, the fighting game where, like, the main character is Super Sonico, they had a physical copy of that. Yeah, Dengeki Bunko. Yeah, no, it, that, that's... Dengeki Bunko is... But she's in that. No, there's two very similar games. And the other one is, like, Neo something 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 burst. Oh, Nitro Plus Blasters Plus. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally understand how you confuse those two. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I should learn more anime. Yeah. I'm so sorry, everyone. But you haven't been watching anime. You've been watching Vice Principles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vice Principles, season one. It just finished on HBO. What a fucking season. What a crazy fucking show. Yeah. So I mentioned it before. Um, 
it's made by Jody Hill and it stars Danny McBride and it's like just one of their weird South Carolina crazy stories about Danny McBride and another guy Walton Goggins and they're both the vice principals of a high school and they work together to take down this new principal that is replacing the previous principal but they both want that position and it is the darkest fucking show I've ever seen is the new principal a man? no it's a black woman called Belinda Brown and there's a photo of her in her house like shaking hands with uh, Michelle Obama like she's like they hate her and she has done nothing wrong and it's awful absolutely awful yeah I, I need to watch that I need to catch up on that and Mr. Robot yeah um, it's just it's super dark it's like darker than Deadwood or anything like that like it's fucked but it's also extremely funny is it like is the darkness comes from basically them being racist misogynist is that is that where the darkness comes from like um, it'll be like it'll be like you're, you're watching a Judd Apatow comedy kind of routine but then all of a sudden a character will make a decision mm-hmm. and it's not funny anymore and you're like, but you, you can't do that. Kind of like in an always sunny kind of way. Yeah. Where you're like, ooh. Yeah, it's super dark. Is it like, is it that kind of thing where like they have a crazy amount of not even hatred, but just complete discard and disdain for this one person and there's no good reason for it? Yeah. And one will do something, but then the other one will encourage the other one. And then they're both like one upping each other because they're so competitive. And this is in the second episode. Um,. There's some weird, like, CGI in the middle of the season because they go on an acid trip and it looks genuinely fantastic. Like, it goes into Dragon Ball Z for a bit. Wow. Um, What else do they say about it? Uh, There's just some really weird, funny stuff where the two vice principals become way too involved in each other's lives and they keep going out into the woods to, like, have secret meetings, but, like people notice that they're going out to the woods together people are like what's 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 going on there and then like they both have their own personal lives with their own subplots and they both kind of help each other out in that aspect but it's it's there's no need for it like it's just this weird theatrical cgi hbo like fuck i don't know like i don't know what the fuck it is but the way they did the production was they never shot a pilot they pitched the whole thing as a feature <laughs> And then HBO were like, how about you just make it like a nine episode series? So they did that and they just made the whole series as one production. So like the first episode to the last episode, there wasn't any gap. Mm. And it's super tight because of that. It's like it's really well written. And there's a season two and they've already finished filming it and it's just being edited. So is this like a good, that's when TV does that, like Netflix with Daredevil. Yeah. It's kind of. It's not episode by episode. There isn't a high or low in each episode to kind of keep you going on to the next one. It's continuing the story. I find that sometimes brilliant because you're getting this mass block of story. But also, if you only have the time to watch one episode, you're like, where was the payoff nearly? Does does it suffer from that? No, they're all all individual episodes. Like like each episode has like a gag that's memorable to that episode. It, it doesn't feel like you're watching something and every two and a half episodes there's a there's a payoff it, okay. it like for this there's like it, it, it it's a serviceable comedy as well that's good that really annoys me about the netflix original stuff is that pacing problem yeah, yeah i definitely get that i hate when you watch an episode of something and it's like i 
can't tell you what just happened there. I'm rewatching Breaking Bad uh, just because I'm because uh, I haven't seen it since it aired. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing stuff in it like and it's it's something that's comfortable to watch because I've seen it before. But it's weird watching it uh, one after the other because I, I I used to watch it week to week, mm-hmm. and so something would happen and then you'd have like a whole week to digest it. But when you're watching it one after the other, the character's decision making is so weird. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of maddening. Because every two episodes, they've completely, like, especially Walt and Jesse, where, like, mm-hmm. they hate each other and then they're friends, but then they hate each other and then they're yeah, friends. Yeah, and they, they, like, boomerang with that so yeah. much. It, like, it happens about five or six times. I binged that as a series, and that's what I, that I had that as a problem narratively, was it did seem all over the place decision making wise. I was watching that since about season two, and, like, I, I I always felt like I had just the kind of right amounts. Mm. It was definitely much easier to watch week to week logically, but just yeah, binge, it makes binge sense. watching logic the the, the logic kind of goes a bit out of the place. What way did you watch? What way did you guys watch The Wire? Binged it. Binged. Yeah, I binged yeah. it and I loved it. Same here. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing because binging is a thing now, and you talk about storytelling and what TV works to be binged and that way, and what doesn't like. I've actually, I've kind of noticed something that if I'm trying to get into like a new kind of show, like it's something that I haven't watched before, I have a much higher likelihood of getting into it if I binge like five or six episodes and like immerse myself in it. But if I like watch one and then watch another a couple of days later and another a couple of days Mm -hmm. later, it's like it won't penetrate me. (laughs) You're not emotionally invested. It doesn't help you. Where did that out? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. And I think like viewing habits are really weird, how it kind of changes your perception of a show. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I wanted to mention real quick was that I ordered this low poly Virtua Fighter Akira. And um, it's I think it's Akira's model from Virtua Fighter 2, I think. And it's a Figma, but it's like it's really poly- polygonal, so it's got like a lot of kind of flat like planes and stuff. And goddamn, if it isn't the most beautiful little figure, I love it so much. And he looks like it's so cool because it's like it's like pretty much a one to one translation of what you would get if you booted up Virtua Fighter on the Sega Saturn. And I just wanted to give it a little shout out, and I, people should should go check it out because these figures are so fucking cool. And I really hope we get more, like, low-poly figures mm. in the future. Because, like, they're one-to-one. Tekken 2, Tekken 2. Tekken 2, like, man, I'd love, like, the Lego men from Final Fantasy VII. I'd, like, really highly rendered. I'd really like a Mario 64 Mario. Oh, yeah. I think that'd be nice. You know they can do it as well. Like, I really love Snake's, um, his Nendroid head. Yeah, 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 yeah. that looks so cool. And you've tell me about Saga Volume 6. Uh, I caught up with Saga. I had kind of dropped off for a while. And this was a really good volume to get back into because there's another time skip. This is the one where it starts at the school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know the one. Exactly. They did a time skip before and I wasn't into it. I didn't feel it works. But this one really sets everything up in a different place. Like everyone has moved on from our original story. And we're kind of getting to a point where they need to band back together. which kind of Yeah, which kind of gives it this like feel like... It's gone on longer than its um, six volumes. Yeah. So that was really fun. Um, really enjoyed it. Fiona Staples is only getting um, better and better with her drawing. Uh, she even has some nice backgrounds. In this I one. love her artwork. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I think like she's not like the fanciest illustrator, but like just just with kind of expressions and stuff, mm-hmm. she's just fucking solid. She works like so closely with the writer that she's given kind of free reign to really imagine what some of these monsters will look like and there's just panels she does that come out of nowhere you turn a page and you're left speechless like when was the big like ball sack troll monster oh yeah (laughs) that was like one of those whoa shit moments or the dragon sucking itself off yeah (laughs) like there was like this 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 comic series is so fucking weird um who's your favorite like not main character but like incidental character that guy's sister is yeah the brand yeah she's great yeah I liked yeah. the I liked yeah. the, the <laughs> she's great, but oh well. I liked the creepy the creepy blue bat woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, she makes a return as well. Yes. And of course Lion Cat, the mm-hmm. best fictional character of all like we can agree on that, right? Like the best fictional character of all time. People like that little walrus guy in the Christian. Yeah, Gus. He's fucking brilliant. Gus is in this one uh, a lot as well. It's a real like you get everyone you like in volume six and it kind of just brings it to a... Uh, Orange is the New Black kind of place for a little bit. Okay, you're losing me. It's just prison. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's good stuff. I really recommend it. I feel like that and Preacher are these kind of comics that are so far above any other comic American comic I've read. Like with that, with those two, I feel like I'm watching a TV show. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. I get the same level of enjoyment from that as I would from like you know watching like a Breaking Bad or a Game of Thrones. It's nearly that kind of experience. You should uh, check out The Wicked and the Divine. Yeah, it's a really good series. I've heard of this. What's the? It's about the old gods coming back, but they're kind of pop stars and celebrities. In okay, the world. I haven't heard it's of this. It's a TV show adaptation. Isn't uh, it? I hope so. I am. It's amazing. It's like it's like American Gods. But um, poppier, pop starry, or like the Morrigan comes back as a goth metal singer. Okay, sold. It's, it's good stuff. Cool. I really, really like Brian K. Vaughan. He's a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Like he, he wrote the best episodes of Lost. Like he's just really, really good at sci-fi. Yeah, totally. And cliffhangers. And with that, we're going to move into our strategy talk. <laughs> about your re-entry into the world of destiny strategy talk is our gaming portion of the podcast by the way in case you're new here in which case also we're a bi-weekly gaming podcast monthly god damn it bi-monthly yeah bi-monthly yeah. Bi-monthly. do not expect us bi-weekly that would be terrible quality in other words every fortnight yep. mm-hmm. um so after being free from the cold fingers of destiny <laughs> You ever notice whenever we talk about Destiny, it sounds so dramatic? It's, it, but, um, oh. It's a very important game. It's, it's like a bad addiction. Um, Rise of Iron came out and I pre-ordered it the day before its release because I was like, well, I'm going to get it because I'm terrible. And this, you get some pre-order items, you get a Iron Galahorn, which is, if people know the Galahorn in Destiny, it's a very prized, uh, heavy mach- uh, rocket launcher. Hmm. So I was like, finally, cool, I'll get a Galahorn if I pre-order this. So um, I pre-ordered, downloaded it, booted up the game, realized I was too low a light level to play any of the story mode. So I spent about eight hours grinding to get my light level up until I was able to do it. And when you get to a certain point, it goes up really fast. So I was over the light level eventually. 
Um, wanted to get my pre-order gun. Turns out the gun is just a skin. You have to unlock this. You have to first do a five-part, like multi-part mission to get the gun, and then just attach the skin to make it kind of look a bit cooler. Was pretty bummed about that. So my first experience wasn't great. Sometimes the like you talk about Destiny, and I always feel like I'm listening to someone explaining how they went to one of those timeshare meetings. And came back with a house. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, you know, I tried to leave, but then they made all these really... Uh, But this is the thing. I realise why I love and hate Destiny. I hate games like Cookie Clickers and stuff like that, where the goal is just to go up in numbers. Okay. I feel it's insidious and it kind of appeals to this part of the human, human condition where we love repetition and we love doing this. It's an addictive quality. And Destiny, I'm aware, is the most addictive game I've ever played. And I hate myself because when I'm playing it, I know I'm not enjoying myself. I'm going to come away eight hours later and enjoying while I'm playing it. While I'm playing, I'm like, this is so good. I love Destiny. Like it's firing off the right. Yeah, it's firing. Like the gameplay so solid. I'm like shooting things. I got like, I bought a exotic gun um, from Xur and it was like... It was just beautiful to shoot. And I was like, this is so nice to play. I'll just sit here and do another mission. I'll just sit here until I get another Ingram. Then it's like eight hours later. All I'm doing is replacing guns I have with other guns and seeing this light go up. And it's what I actually hate about some video games is this kind of addictive quality. Because like when you said about the cookie clicker thing, and like I got nothing against cookie clickers. But to me, from everything I've heard from you and from other sources, Destiny sounds like the most perfectly designed cookie clicker imaginable it's like they've designed this so people can't stop playing it and you have to part of me is like like i mean yeah it works i love the location i love the gameplay i'm i'm happy to be here but then the other part of me is like this is what i realized rebecca came in and she sat beside me and she's like oh i like your gun and i was like oh i like it too but i'm working to replace it because that's what you do in the game you get new things to make your light level go up hmm. so all i was doing for those eight hours were trying to get find engrams to get a better gun with a higher rating even though i quite like the gun so um back to rise of iron the campaign is two hours long i finished it after i started it what i reached the in boss and i was like oh this is cool it has some like evangelion stuff like there's like a creature hanging from the roof that's armor that's been infused with AI kind of consciousness that's also organic like it's you got some cool premises and stuff and then it was that was the last mission I was like oh okay and the boss was really easy to defeat and then his second form was just two of the last boss with the same attack patterns oh that sucks yeah it sucked it took two hours long like the it's 30 euro to buy this I was watching uh, some gameplay footage of Destiny because I actually I've seen very little of Destiny. I know mm. so little about it, and it was a guy running around in third person, throwing hammers at robots, and the hammers would explode. Yeah, yeah. And ra- and that should be cool. I thought it looked fucking lame. But this is the thing; it is cool when you're doing it. Like that hammer has such a nice sound effect to it, and yeah. you feel the weight behind it when you throw it. All the guns have really nice, like you feel the recoil. You like everything feels so good. So you want to try it. You want to keep playing it. But it's for no reason. There's for nothing. There's no narrative rationale really. All you're doing is replacing the games you worked the 
items you work so hard to get anyway. It's just the cycle, this continuous loop that I'm walking and I know I'm walking it and I'm just doing it anyway. I'm going to buy Destiny too. But this is like, now I'm not even saying this in a kind of bad way, but that's because Destiny is like focus tested Mm -hmm. to fire off those neurons in your brain and make you do that, which is why I'll never play it. I think like I considered playing it many times, but the I feel like the best outcome is I end up where you are, mm-hmm. and I don't want that. See, I can't go as deep as I probably would like to go because I don't have a team to play it with, so I'm not going to get to do this raid. So you're saying that if we start playing, we could do the raids, John. Come on, Brian, take my hand. Nope, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather do crystal meth. It's pretty much the same feeling. Why don't we just combine those two things? (laughs) Destiny. Rise of Iron. Rise of Iron. You really sound like you're not enjoying it. Oh, but I've been playing it nonstop as well. This is the problem. I enjoy it, but also I know why I enjoy it, and I enjoy it in the same way an addict likes their vice. Like you're smiling, so you're happy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a shame smile, though. (laughs) No, she loves it. It's like... Yeah. yeah. It kind of makes me intense. I don't know. I don't like talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. There's only like a couple of hundred people listening. It's fine. <laughs> um, I have been playing more Bravely Second. That game's fucking awesome. That's such a good and pure thing in the world. It's so to good and pure. Like, and this is going to sound weird, but the menus in that game are so fucking well done. It's like whatever I want to do in a fight... It's like, I, I think of it, then two seconds later, it's done. Because everything, like, you click on something, like, a split second later, you're on the next thing. And I know that doesn't sound significant, but one RPG I bounced off was Dragon Quest VIII on PS2. Because the menus in that, like, you hit attack, and, like, eight seconds later, you attack. And that's fucking crazy. With this, it's like you attack, and then instantly, like, the attack can the attacks put in your guys attacking it's over enemy goes it's back to you and like the fights are so fast like if you want them to be and man it's a fantastic game like i'm really amazed at how much i like it and the characters are great the backstories are great and like the job system is really cool they keep doing this thing where like you'll be walking along and so you'll meet a samurai and samurai's got a problem and then you're like, oh, I'll help you out, buddy, because I want to get the samurai job class. But then it turns out his problem is related to a summoner. And you're like, oh, shit, I want the summoner job class. And you have to side with one side or the other, and that's the class you get. But they tell all these really fun, weird little stories with it. And, like, you don't have to do them, but they're kind of one of the most enjoyable parts of the game. Um, all around, that game is goddamn terrific. Although I would really... Especially anyone who's fallen off RPGs, I feel like this this game series is Japan's apology to you for being like, you know what, there's a lot of stupid shit with Japanese RPGs, but here you go. It's, it's all fixed. Such a user-friendly experience. I think even if you've fallen off gaming, it might be a good one to get. Because like, depending on where you're at, you can up... Again, with the menu system being really easy, you can up the difficulty super easily, you can mm-hmm. up the encounter rate really easily... You can lower the difficulty and it's just, it's all there, easily yeah. done. And it instantly takes, um, takes away what gripe you had at that stage. Yeah. I would say that 
if you've never been into um, if you've never been into JRPGs, this is not going to be the game to convince you. But if you have even the slightest appreciation for them, it's it's like great. Uh, we need to get a copy in your hands at some point, Brian, because this is to me a shoe in for the mm. Let's Fight a Boss Cast Hall of Hard Work and Success. Okay. Um, Neve, you've been playing Dead Rising Two off the record. Yeah. So I had never played this game before. I played like Dead Rising 1 and I hadn't played the second one at all. But uh, I wanted to get the one. The HD pack has come out for the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. So I wanted to get uh, the one with Frank West uh, returning in it, which is off the record. Um, It's really good. It's really fun. It really feels like a 2011 video game, though. I'll bet. It's like it opens up and Frank's got a titty out in his wrestling gear. Because it's like he's a washed up dude now. He he really met his he met his money and his name after the original outbreak, and he was a big deal. And then towards the end, he's overweight on a couch, being like, "I need to get my life back together." That's just the Frank West I want. Mm-hmm. I forgot how hard these games are. First run through is very yeah. difficult. Like it's not you're not they're not designed for you to beat it on your first playthrough. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I think you can. But it's nearly impossible. I've lost so many people already. Yeah. I was just like running by going, oh, too slow. I think I played the first game and I was really, really bad at it. I thought it was so hard. Yeah, like I, I like Dead Rising 1 is one of my favorite games ever. I fucking love it. But like, yeah, you, you die your first run through. You don't have the stats or the skills to be able to do anything good. So then like you get six hours in, start again with a new leveled up Frank, and then you can start making proper progress. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have that timer thing anyway. Then Frank seems to be infected, so he takes this... Zombrex. Yes, Zombrex. Yeah, yeah, Zombrex. Which you can get in the local chemist. Mm. And that adds another thing to it, because you need to take that every few hours. So, but you have to go out into the world and find it first, Mm -hmm. which is very stressful. Yep. Like, I don't have one right now, and I'm like, Frank's getting the chills. Um, the story, like, I mean, this is 2011 and it's this game. I couldn't get over how sexist some of the start of it is. Oh, really? Okay, it's just like, you have Frank and you're like, yeah, cool, it's Frank. Then the first time you see, like, women, they're hanging around the other, um, wrestling announcer guy and they're both, like, in these tiny dresses. I remember them. And they got their arms around him and then they gently cross each other and touch each other's boobs. So it's like, ooh, some slight lesbianism as well. (laughs) And it's like, that's the first, the first, like, woman you get. Then the second woman you get is the, um, becomes Frank's tech girl all of a sudden. She's the leader of that red, like, that zombie right group. Yeah, I remember her too. Oracle. yeah, basically it's Oracle. She comes in and hands Frank like an earpiece and was like, so I can keep in contact. And she sits down at the computer and I was like, all right, thanks, tech girl. So like, you're go- they're going with that. Um, so it really does have a 2011 feel to mm. it. Whatever, I knew what I was getting, you know. Yeah. I'm kind of going with the Frank experience and trying to enjoy it for that stuff. I mean, like those... Like, with the story stuff, those films are fucking B-movies. Mm-hmm. But I nearly appreciate how hard they lean into that. Yeah, that there's one some part of me that was like, this is so over-the-top video gaming. It's like nearly like satire, but I, I kind of know it's not satire mm. as well, you know? So there's a bit of a ooh, disconnect. But I'm still enjoying it despite that, anyway. Because, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's dressed in a onesie now. It's in like... Um, with a fedora and he's going around with a dildo so it's you know 
You can't take it too serious. Yeah, it's like Saints Row at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I liked, I haven't, I haven't, I played the original Dead Rising two, and I thought it was like a big letdown from Dead Rising one mm. for like really specific weird reasons that I don't think a lot of people would agree with. But um, one thing I really liked that they did well off the record is the original protagonist from Dead Rising two is now a psychopath, one of the human bosses in Off the Record. That's cool. He's the motorbike guy. Yeah. Have you seen him? Um, I'm not very far into it. Uh, you, you come across this guy and he's like, it's him and Frank talking. And he's like, oh, there's a lot of crazy people out there, Frank. You got to be careful. He's like, I need to get some, some uh, Zombrex for my daughter. And he's got like a doll in his backpack and he takes her out and he's like, look, it's my daughter. And in Dead Rising 2, where he's the protagonist, his daughter's real and alive. So it's nearly like Dead Rising 2 is happening in his head. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. So it's an alternate cool. reality that's, that's kind pretty of story. Terrible. Yeah, it's cool. Just like Love Live, the whole thing's a lie. <laughs> um, so I know this is like my eighth time bringing this up. But you played Street Fighter, John. I played Street Fighter Five. Oh, good. Do you, you like that game? Well, you know, it's funny because I have a long and detailed explanation about my thoughts on Street I played the, Look, I've been, finished the story mode. The story mode's really cool. It's not a good story. It's really well done. The cutscenes are cool. It made me really happy to see Ryu get over his emotional problems. Did he? Yep. He get, he beats up a slime man and he's like, I can fight again. Oh, I think we all just need to find our slime man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just gotta go into the sewers and find him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've also been playing just a shit ton of that game again. I'm still playing as Jury. I love that game. Who's the new character who takes off all his pants if you do a code? That is Orion, and okay. he is from Street Fighter 3. He's fucking rad. He looks cool. I like his design. He has, like, a really nice suit, and if you hold... I think it's, like... Uh, I'll look it up because this isn't it, but it's, like, high, like strong point, strong kick, low kick or something. At the start of the match, he, like, blasts off his clothes in, like, a blaze of fire, and he just has a tiny white thong on underneath. Dude can wear a thong. He has the body for it. He's perfect. And you can, you can also like get downloadable costumes and then just do that anyway. Because fuck it. <laughs> but um, it's really cool. And they added like stage transitions. They're awesome. It feels really good beating the shit out of someone and then like kicking them through a window in like the last part of the match. And then the fight continues in that new environment. Yep. Um, I have no idea where I fucking stand with that game in terms of like... Because we're kind of coming up to the end of the year and I'm like taking stock of what I've enjoyed most. And like... It's weird, because I could totally see that game being in our, like, most disappointing category, and also ranking one of the highest in terms of, like, the games I've played this year. It's fucking... It's such a weird one. I think as a, like, consumer experience, it it's not great. Like, it's, no. it's, it's good now, but, like, its release content is not what people were looking for. Botched. Like, mm-hmm. not even disappointing. Like, broken and botched. Like, they dropped the ball so many times... And, yeah, look, we that is, a, that is a conversation we will have in the future. But, yeah, I just wanted to call out that there's cool stuff going on in Street Fighter Five, And if you have it, you should try it again. Because it is a very, very well-made game. Despite, like, all the release bullshit. Brian, you've been a little silent for this strategy talk. But that is because you have been learning all about directing and animation yeah directing and filmmaking i've really been playing a lot of games i've been going to a lot of workshops so i was going to talk about two different workshops i went to the first one was an animation director workshop and it was one really 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 interesting talk and it was on angry birds the movie now i don't think any of us have seen it 
Maybe some of our listeners have seen it, but I'm genuinely curious about this film all of a sudden. Uh, it's got two directors, and one of the co-directors is an Irish guy called Fergal O'Reilly. And he's like 20 years older than us, and he would have worked um, in VFX and, ana- and in animation, but one of his first jobs was doing the uh, train sequence in Spider-Man 2, where Tobey Maguire is trying to stop the train. And he would have done that, and he did location scouting on set with Sam Raimi and everything. It's one of the best sequences. Yeah, it's really, really cool. I like Spider-Man too. I thought it was totally fine. So he starts to talk by just telling us, like, just stories about, like, you know, cool directors he's met. And at one point he was working on a project with Sam Raimi that never took off. And it seems like Sam Raimi's kind of similar to Guillermo del Toro, where they have these passion projects, but, like, the studios will never back it. Like, like they'll fund it a little bit for pre-production, but then when you actually present it, they go, no. And so somehow or another, he ended up directing a video game adaptation of an iPhone game or or a film adaptation of an iPhone game. And he said it was a very strange road. And he just talked about, I guess, 3D feature film uh, production and like how it becomes like something very personal and then just becomes what it is on screen. He says that you might have like 100% of ideas that like are really all about you and about 10% of it is up on screen. That's so fucking weird. Uh, it explains he, so much about why films end up the way they do. Yeah. In fairness, when the property is Angry Birds, it's like you can yeah. only do so many ideas with that. So, like he was talking about anger and he was talking about like, okay, like he broke it down to its simplest terms because he co-wrote the film as well. And so he was just talking about like different types of anger. And he tried to work them into the different birds. Mm. That there's a traditionally angry red bird, and then there's an, an explosive anger bird that is very calm, but then loses his temper. And then another one that seems to switch between uh, like being very, very happy, and then all of a sudden just completely different mood. And he and like he, he seemed to be into Greek lit, into Greek poetry and and I, I, I guess philosophy about kind of like the bare bones of anger. And trying to work that in. I'm really impressed that they actually went that deep with it. Yeah. I never ever would have guessed that. Well, he would have, uh, but he says then you bring it to the studio and all that gets like just like, no angry, just the red one. The, the red one make him angry, and he just said that uh, he was talking about uh, the music in the film. It has a score by an orchestra, but he said at the same time. Uh, he was talking about the focus testing and they have to have needle drops of chart music in the film because uh, female demographic over 25 won't react to the movie unless there's like a recent track song in it. I can't even focus on what you're saying. Yeah. Oh shit, we haven't played, <laughs> yeah. we haven't played the requisite song and now Neve's zoned out. <laughs> But then he was talking about the focus testing, and that's when it got real interesting. Because mm. he brought in like scans of the focus testing, and he just says, when a film costs $100 million to make, like the studio are so frightened it's not going to make its money back. So they focus test the shit out of it two months before release and tweak stuff based on that. So that, like he had just scanned pictures of all the feedback forms mm. of all, like, like it doesn't say their names, but it'll say whether it's a boy or a girl and what age they are. So he has like stuff from kids, and it's like, I like this reminds you of the Lego movie and it said if it reminded them of the movie that did well a year or two ago they didn't touch anything 
mm-hmm. especially some of the Le- Lego movie. Mm. But then there'd just be like just I didn't like the music during this bit. I didn't get the blue one. Focus testing is depressing as hell. Yeah, it's such a like race towards the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. let's let's not offend anyone. Yeah, let's just make the most dead center thing possible. And there was a great bit afterwards where Fergal's showing all the focus testing forms, and then he kind of goes, because Tom Moore is in the crowd who directed Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, and he goes, Tom, did you ever do focus text, uh, testing? And he just goes, nah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're completely different. But he was saying that it's a project you work on for four years, you shit your pants every day, like, it's insane. It's just you pushing... A boulder, and sometimes people help you, but it, but you're always pushing that boulder. And then it's it's just a movie that a bunch of assholes talk about on a podcast for five minutes. Yeah, but that's all that's all that movie could ever be because of what it was created as. You know, yeah. that will never be anything special or tell an interesting story, despite this guy wanting that. Like, and like it's the kind of thing we'd never see. I would love because this guy sounds decent. Like he sounds like a good director. Yeah, he's, I'd he's love his... his Angry Birds. Yeah. He says there are personal achievements in the film and there was stuff that he was able to argue mm. uh, that got in and he just said like the main focus of the film and like it was based on the feedback and he worked it into the film was that he tried to keep because there's three main birds in it he tried to make like that happen as soon as possible and have that throughout the whole film because that's the most interesting part of the film. Mm. Um, so but like he writes it off as a, as a success and it seemed to do well even though when you hear about that like a year or two ago you just dismiss it immediately because mm-hmm. like Angry Birds was big in, like, 2012. I'd say there's so many good production stories of, like, thing gets big, gets licensed to a studio, and, like, that person has to then figure out how to make a feature Minecraft movie, mm-hmm. you know? Do you know who's in charge of the Minecraft movie? It's the same guys who are in charge of the Lego movie? Nope. Really? Is this the Australian duo of fun? No. Mac from Always Sunny is oh, the creative. Okay. What the uh, fuck? Yep. So, like, he's in charge of the funny in the Minecraft movie. Okay, sure. Yeah. But this is the thing. It works. We get, like, Mac being able to do an interesting thing, or we'll get Mac focus test to the end of the world. It's going to get focus tested. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, like, like I'm sure there'll be, like, two or three, like, broken jokes that, like, Always Sunny fans will, like, latch onto. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it will just be, like... Maybe one of the characters will get addicted to meth again. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like that. Like, one of the creepers? Yeah, the creepers on meth. I'm sure there's a really great YouTube video about that already. They'd let two creepers down the cave, and they'll be like, they'll be huffing glue, and they'll be like, this is the wrong type of glue. (laughs) (laughs) It's supposed to be the one that's poisonous. Um. Yeah, and then the other filmmaking workshop I was going to talk about is... Yesterday, I went to a talk by Greg Sestero. This is fucking fascinating. Who played Mark in the film The Room, which is considered one of the worst movies ever made. And I, 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 I assume everyone has seen it at this point, so I won't go on about it. If you haven't seen it, like it, it, it's worth watching with a group of friends. I watched it on my own the first time, and it, I couldn't really... It's not a fun time on your own. It's no. just really weird and uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, you need friends and a drinking game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if you've never seen it, just watch the flower shop scene. It's on YouTube. It's like 30 seconds. But that, like, is the film in a can. A rich, vaguely European man got a lot of money and made a film. And it's crazy. Yeah. My favorite part in that film is when 
the woman didn't want to go through sex scenes with him anymore, so they replayed the the first sex scene oh as the second god. one. Yeah. It's so god, it's like and they're one after the other. Yeah, it's so hilarious. Um, yeah. So the guy who plays Mark, um, he has a, a book called The Disaster Artist. And it's being adapted into a film now by James Franco and his brother Dave and the Seth Rogen crew. That book, by the way, is like, it's one of my favorite books. Yeah. It's just, what a amazing portrait of a crazy broken human. And just how hard, uh, like, like how hard it is to get into acting in Hollywood. Yeah. Because the movies every year use recycle the same 20 actors. And it's so hard to break into that. Yeah, yeah totally. Um... um I've never read the book. I've only listened to the audiobook, but I bought the book and I got him to sign it, which was pretty cool. Um, but he is the calmest person I've ever met because he's just seen it all. He's seen the weirdest shit life has thrown at you and like now he's fine. And um, he talked about the book and he just talked about his experiences and like owning something that, that you made as a mistake in the past and like not burying, like, you know, like... Like, like not locking it away in a vault, but just accepting it. It was weird, because the way you spoke about him, he sounds like quite like an intelligent, talented person. Yeah. But when I when I watch The Room, the first thing I assume is that everyone on everyone I'm watching is a moron, which is mean of me. You know, that's part of me. Yeah. But it just shows, like, one crazy person in the right position on a big project, and it just goes, like, crazy. Like, it goes nuts. Yeah, because Mark is a terrible character in that film and Greg isn't good at acting in that movie but he says that he didn't try because Tommy wouldn't expect him to try I don't think he ever thought it was getting released no and he did it as a favour like yeah. it, it wasn't anything but people on the production because before the talk he showed a 30 minute documentary of behind the scenes footage it was insane like it had a full cast and crew and so people who taught the film was kind of weird didn't really like question it too much because there was enough gaffers and electricians and I'd stuff say like that. If, if you're like a, a gaffer in Hollywood, you work on enough weird shit that you just stop questioning things after a while. Yeah. And they did what the director did, told them to do because he, he was also the producer. Um, but it, it was just a really, 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 really good talk. And I highly recommend uh, the book. The book is way better than that film. Yeah. The book's amazing. Audiobook's very good as well because read by the guy and like he does impressions of how everyone talks and it's yeah his, something else. His impression of Tommy's amazing. Yeah, because like I, I like the film for what it is. I, I don't it has like a huge cult following and I'm not really that into it but Jesus that book is so good. Yeah. Um, he, he showed some other behind the scenes footage so he showed Tommy's shop that he owns where he sells uh, clothes called uh, Fashion Street USA and he sells Levi's jeans but it's like Tommy walking down the stairs dressed as a Shakespearean bard. And he's like, to be or not to be. <laughs> and then he's like, we sell Levi's jeans. And it, it's just this super famous ad that's shown in San Francisco. But that's like his main job. And that's why the it, it was six million out of his own pocket. Yeah, I think it's it's still quite suspect. But then at the end of the talk was the best part where Greg showed a trailer for a film that he's making. And he's writing, directing this movie. It's not out yet on YouTube, but it's but it's called Best Friends. And Greg is playing uh, like an out-of-work actor in Hollywood who meets a strange man, and the strange man is played by Tommy Wiseau, driving a hearse. And he's a mortician, and it is it looks like a cross between The Room and Drive, where it, it's a con man heist movie. What's wrong? If 
and it looks super fucking dark and at the end of it they talked about like working with Tommy and Greg says like he knows how to work with Tommy he knows how to get like a genuine performance out of him where he's not taking advantage of him but he knows how to get the weirdness yeah uh, where it's this mixture of like broken genuine like like insanity which I think is like what you could say about the room like it's it's genuine yeah like it's someone really trying the guy interviewing Greg was the guy who directed Once and the new film Sing Street which I didn't know but I don't really care I'm trying to think what was was Once the one about the the two musical yeah Yeah. fucking hate Irish film yeah so like I I think he also did like in America I don't know it was like a really shitty film about family travelling to America and it was bollocks I mean Irish cinema is pretty terrible. Yeah, so like he's being personally interviewed by Irish cinema in yeah, like like in physical form, and mm. it was like the most boring guy who mostly talked about himself. And after the talk, like my friend Seamus was like, "So what do you think?" And I was like, "It was really good. I wish that other guy didn't talk about himself the whole time." And Seamus was like, "You can't say that. He's right behind us." And I was like, "I don't care. You can't say that. Yeah, I, let I, him hear that. Yeah. Fuck him. I think I saw an interview, and it was like." Oh, Steve Simpson, the illustrator. Yeah. And, oh, who's that kind of... He did the Vodafone ads. We haven't liked them for a long time. He does, like, the the Beast cartoons. Oh, Chris Judge. Chris Judge. It was Steve Simpson interviewing Chris Judge. And Steve Simpson just kept bringing up his own work. And, like, Chris Judge wasn't the greatest interview either. I've seen talks with him since then. He's gotten better. But, yeah, oh, it was just... It was so terrible. But there, but like, But, like, that's kind of like a world that we're not a part of but it's the Irish Illustrators Guild Mm -hmm. and once you get in there it's just dick sucking central yeah Mm. circular dick sucking yeah that's when it's like the Ouroboros yeah (laughs) oh my god what's wrong Neve? what's wrong (laughs) it looked like John was doing like a he mimed a circle so I could just imagine a circle of dick yeah I'd like to apologise to the listeners that they can't see this is a very crude episode it really did like illustrate it well yeah it, it is but you know like the people want reality and they're they're getting it okay like I, I can if there's any like cowards listening to this podcast and turn it off right now because it's only going to get like realer from here yeah we I, all we all agreed at that before we started I, I just enjoy these workshops and we, we live in dublin and it's a very unique place where just a lot of interesting people moving on to our quick time events We have um, champions of the human race digital homicide in the news once again. And oh, so these are the guys that are viewing the YouTube personality gaming journalist Jim Sterling. And I will say I'm a big fan of Jim Sterling. That dude can be abrasive as fuck and he knows it. Mm -hmm. But what they are suing him for is harassment on the grounds that his fans have been harassing them but that's old news the new news is that they are suing a group of 100 anonymous steam users and that's kind of insane i feel like there's two sides but first of all if this group is actually harassing digital homicide and sending them death threats that's fucked up and they shouldn't do that second of all Digital Homicide trying to sue them is insanity. Like, that's crazy. But where it gets weirder is because 
Valve actually took Digital Somicide off Steam because they're saying you're being hostile to our customer base, mm-hmm. you know. And now they're suing Valve. You gotta sue someone. I feel like, are you ever at a party and like some like asshole does or says something really fucked up and you see this kind of look of terror in their eyes and you know they're like they're like a rat in a hole. They either have to like climb all the way out and own it or just dig way deeper and like burrow in and be like, no, no, it's true. That race of people is bad, you know. That's what digital homicide are doing on a massive scale, professional level. They're just suing all around them because what choice do they have mm-hmm. left? Do you really want to piss off Valve? No, not if you're a PC developer. <laughs> like, I think this is the point. They were never that. Like, digital homicide are never ever going to make a good game. They're never going to make their money from selling a game. They just reuse assets and it's like pieces of garbage. Yeah, it's so, their stuff is like barely above asset flipping. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is probably the best bet for them is to just try and sue loads of people. It's pathetic. It like, really is. It's... Oh, there's actually a really good... Well, it's kind of it's kind of awkward, but there's, an in, there's, like, a Skype call between Jim Sterling and them where they, like, just have it all out. <laughs> and there's this bit where they're like, yeah, keep talking, Jim. We got something coming up. We've got you. And he's like, uh, okay. No, they don't. And then they go, okay, Jim... Here it is. And they play a video clip of Jim Sterling being like, I am making zombies in my basement. Like, as a skit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, see, you're trying to get people to attack us. And Jim Sterling is just like so aghast. He's like, that, that's your smoking gun? He's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? And they're just these two, like, two American guys. And they do not seem very bright. Mm-hmm. But, yeah... They sound like the guys from Finders Keepers. You know what? Uh, if if a foot was not involved, but some like some shitty asset flipping software, then yeah, you have the same story. God, I I really there's stuff I want to say about Finders Keepers, but just you need to go watch it. There's some really great moments in that. Um, Wildcard Studio is releasing an expansion pack of Ark Survival Evolved. Which isn't a problem, but Ark Survival Evolved is actually an early access game on Steam. So they're releasing an expansion pack for a game that isn't out yet. And a lot of controversy has been kicked up because people are like, why aren't you putting that money into making the game? What do you guys make of this? They should... The expansion pack should be put in the timeline of the current project. Yeah, I think it's kind of a fucked up move. Mm, Yeah. I think it just goes to show how like weirdly undefined early access games are because like Ark's also been in early access for like years. That's real weird. And there's a real weird um there's a real weird percentage where it's like 75% of all games that have ever been in early access have never come out of it. Is this just where they stay then? Like and it's always these um scavenging games. Yeah, it started with, like, Dust, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's super fucked up. Wait, Dust or Rust? Rust. Rust, yeah. Yeah, yeah Rust is still in beta. Yeah. yeah that's weird. Despite making millions. <laughs> um, Conor McGregor. Who put... I put this on just because Conor McGregor's Irish and 
we're an Irish podcast. <laughs> that does talk yeah, about that adds up. Games. That adds up. <laughs> we all know Conor McGregor personally. Yeah, yeah. he lives down the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually does live very close to where we had him on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's not episode zero zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, a new trailer uh, for Call of Duty Infinite Warfare starring Kit Harrington from Game of Thrones. Yay! He's the bad guy. And Conor Aww. McGregor, who is Kit's possibly right-hand man. Another bad guy. Um, he looks good. The models look really nice. It's really interesting how Call of Duty is getting so celebrity-filled. Yeah. Like, I mean, they had Kevin Spacey before. But this is really like, no, these are main characters. We're doing this now. We have celebrity faces in our games. So I like Conor McGregor. Like he's he's a he's a character, and I like I like my my big exaggerated cartoon characters in real life. Anytime I've seen him in like an ad, he's usually pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. How is his acting? From this trailer, he literally punches a guy in the face on the ground. So that's, yeah, you sure, know he he pulls it off well. <laughs> they know what they know what they're working with there. I don't think he has a large role. I think he is like maybe a glorified bodyguard to Kit Harrington's character. He sounds like uh, Stone Cold in the first uh, Expendables movie. Mm. He's just like a walking muscle yeah. tower, the, the, and that's all he's used for in that film. It also shows their spacesuits in this trailer that Kit Harrington is wearing. They are not a cool design. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like they have, like, cling film, like, a really small domed helmet over their face. Really small. And, like, it doesn't look chunky in a way that space stuff should look. Or it doesn't look slick in a way that a well-designed Destiny-esque space kind of costume looks. It kind of looks looks crappy. I was like, that's a bit of bad sci-fi. But the game itself looks really beautiful. It was a nice trailer. Yeah. Um... How much do you think, like, celebrity shit helps? Because... I don't know. Because I'd never look at a game and be like, hmm, Conor McGregor's in that. Yeah. I should check that out. They hired the right actors for it. Like, they're both, like, like Jon Snow's so cool, guys. Yeah. And, like, Conor McGregor's always winning the fights. Maybe it's for, like, the people who like Call of Duty. Like, I think maybe. Yeah, Kim Harrington it. and Conor McGregor are big pulls. It's kind of weird how much Call of Duty and Battlefield are separating each other from each other yeah. now. Yeah. Battlefield going the World War One route. Battlefield is on the cusp of introducing World War One wizards. Mm-hmm. Like that's how far it's pushing that. I direction. can't wait for that game. I haven't bought a Battlefield in ages, and I'm like, I am definitely getting that one. That looks like such an interesting story. Um, and this is going like full Hollywood sci-fi explosions, Kit Harrington kind of thing. Mm. It's just, um, it is really becoming the blockbuster game it has always been. I guess it's probably like for Normos, like mm-hmm. you know, like. Wayne in D4 and his girlfriend uh, Jacinta mm-hmm. and he's playing it because because it's his one game he buys annually in November Brian break, well that, break that sentence down for our American viewers a rich Dublin lad who has a PS3 that he bought at launch and he like blows the dust off and plays his fucking annual his girlfriend buys him the PS4 oh, for yeah. his birthday though yeah and he's like oh Jason yeah cool <laughs> did you get FIFA what the fuck is Rocket League I wouldn't play that <laughs> And, and she's like, I know you'd like it, it's got robot cars in it. And he's like, oh, fuck that. I wouldn't play that shit at all. She sent us the real gamer here. Yeah. Mm. And so he's playing it anyway and he goes, oh, this is decent yoke. And she goes, I really like it. translate, that's a decent yoke. Yeah. And the girlfriend is like, I really like that they have John in it. Do you know he's the actual king in the Game of Thrones? And he goes, oh, yeah, I stopped watching after your one died. <laughs> And like then and then and then Connor shows up and he goes, Is that your man Connor? Do you know I saw him? 
outside the club two weeks ago, and I said, "Hey, Connor," and he told me to fuck off. He's a good, he's he's he's, he's a good cracker, right? He's a great guest, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's I love him. He's my friend. So that's who likes it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It it, it is for that demographic, normos. Mm-hmm. Um, people who don't like Galgun, real people. <laughs> Galgun was there as well. Galgun had a... I held a physical box of Galgun and was like, no fucking way. For anyone who doesn't know that... Fucking fuck. Don't explain Galgun. Galgun. No, 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 we're in too deep. I have to do it now. Just type it into YouTube and have a good time. Galgun is a light gun shooter based in Tokyo where you must shoot girls with your... Pheromone gun? Pheromone gun. Because what happened is Cupid Arrows ha- has hit you, so every woman uh, in, in like, uh, like kilometer radius, like, flocks towards you. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's, like... I like how there's only two type of people, like, Call of Duty fans or Galgun fans. There's nothing in between. <laughs> that's, that's, the that's, po- just, that's, that's the post-apocalypse <laughs> that we live in, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about Galgun more for, like, Game of the Year stuff, but... but um... <laughs> GameStop. That's how GameStop works. Yeah. There's no. There's no middle ground. There's nobody who's like, hey, uh, hey, I, I think I might get Tomb Raider. Yeah. Nope. And like, it's crazy because you can fall into being like the FIFA player or the Galgun player. Like, it it's, it can happen so fast. I went in there looking for Bravely Second just to see what price it was, and that wasn't around. But the Galgun. crazy thing is, Bravely Second isn't even anime enough for their anime section. Mm-hmm. Like, their anime section is just like full on. Like, they might as well sell, like, body pillows next to it. Like, they might as well... There should be a bunch of fucking, like, Asana body pillows next to that section because that's how hardcore it is. Maybe someday that'd be sweet. Yeah, sure. Although I think I like Xion better than Asana. Oh, my God. Who's Xion? She's a cool sniper. I love her. See, she's cool. (laughs) Yeah, but still, stop. You love her, do you? I I, I can't. (laughs) I have entered into a contract with someone and we're working our way through season two and I am not breaking that promise. I really like Kiroto. I saw him on the street a few weeks ago and I said, hey, Kiroto. And he said, fuck off. Nice guy. (laughs) That seems to be a common occurrence in Ireland lately. (laughs) Yeah. Goblin gets everyone. (laughs) Um, Brian, was it you who wrote the Resident Evil 7 one here? No. That was me. Me who loves Resident Evil. Yeah. So there was a new trailer. Uh, well, trailer. Um, Resident Evil. <laughs> There's a new trailer at the Tokyo Game Show, and um, it shows. Did you, either of you guys watch this? Yes. So, I just, I've just seen the pictures of the fucking like. Uh, yeah, yeah, that family. Yeah, it's like we kind of see who the bad guys are. My hopes were like, ooh, crazy cult, crazy cult, but it seems more like Rob Zombie esque. It's more like. Have you guys seen that one scene from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Like, it's that exact scene. Yeah, Yeah, it is. The dinner scene. It's it's three, four people of, like, an extended weird family sitting around with you in first person or your player character watching them as they... The father saws off a young guy's arm and tries to force feed you because you're not being a polite guest eating the slop. Uh, it's disappointing to be honest. Like it is a very, as I said, Rob Zombie thing. That's it's not it's not nuanced. So it's that's not, that's the thing about it. Fine. Like I don't know anything about Resident Evil Seven. I don't even know that this is a part of Resident Evil Seven. I don't know if this is like the Twilight demo or whatever the fuck. But so everything I'm saying now is going to be based on the trailer rather than Seven because the information, as far as I know, isn't there. There is no subtlety. Or atmosphere to and like I'm a huge horror fan mm-hmm. and I really want Resident Evil to be great, but 
it like the bit where like he saws he doesn't he doesn't saw off the guy's arm but he like he 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 stabs his son in the arm and then like then just starts cutting it there's no real motivation for it mm-hmm. it's just like they're mad yeah they're they're crazy <laughs> and it's like it's not it's not uncomfortable. It's just like, wow, look at these game designers trying to be extreme. Mm-hmm. Like, you can totally do shit like that, but like... And maybe it's just... Maybe the pacing of it is just butchered by this trailer. But even like, there was like a first-person shooting section in it, and it looked fucking janky as shit. And I'm really worried about Resident Evil 7. Like... Yeah, same here. It's out in like, what, three months? January, yeah. yeah. Really I same. really want it to be good. I really, really want it to be good. I think that premise, just the whole, like, weird hick family in a cabin that's kidnapped someone, doesn't really lend itself to, for something interesting and nuanced. Like, what games do best is atmosphere and slow pacing and this, like... That's what it does best. And this trailer, this story, it really bums me out. I hope, I hope against hope that they'll make something interesting out of it. I, I don't know, scary. like, I feel like that premise, you could do a lot of cool... Like, The Walking Dead season one did some cool stuff with yeah, that kind of Yeah, yeah, with the family. But this you. stuff, it's just like... It's just, like, it's nigh on edgelord material. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like... Super, it's super tropey. So, yeah. like, when you say The Walking Dead, that was interesting because it was one thing that happened in one chapter. Yeah, it and it was like this super quiet chapter as well. Mm-hmm. Barely anything happened for 50 minutes and it was actually pretty frustrating to play through. Yeah. But then when you get to the payoff, it's like, oh my fucking God. And it was great. Yeah. This is not that. Another weird thing that I didn't get to do, but they did an update for the demo they released. So it's the Twilight version, as you were saying. Yeah, it is. Um, They've extended where you can travel, like, in the demo. There's a few stuff you could find, like a key and, like, a mannequin's tome and stuff that didn't really have any uses in the demo as it was, so I assume it gives them some use. I haven't played it. I still haven't played it at all. I I played the first one, but I have no interest in playing this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like this is 100% a Japanese game. Yeah. Okay. I just that's really It's so weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it has a real like developed in America feel to it as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a Japanese game. No. And like it doesn't sound like that 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 fake Twin Peaks game that's super Japanese. Oh, a Deadly Premonition. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like here's an outsider looking in. Yeah. It doesn't have that at all. I hope he gets to make another game. Um I really want that game to be good. Like I'm, it's like it's like the Final Fantasy, fifteen thing. Where like mm-hmm. I am going to buy Final Fantasy fifteen as long as the reviews aren't disastrous. And it's like I don't know, like I might as well. I feel like I'm putting my like money into a blender and mm-hmm. just randomly hitting. You know, like I have no idea if it's going to be worth it or just what. Well, hopefully, it'll be good. Sony throws Hello Games under the bus. So we have a category that we do at the end of the year called Biggest Shit Show of the Year. And it's like the biggest PR disaster. And I think some things would have to go very wrong for some very unfortunate people for it not to be Hello Games and the No Man's Sky release. Not saying anything about the quality of the game itself, but the the reception, reaction, and how Hello Games have treated it. What a fucking disaster. And it's just gotten worse for them because... Was was it... um, Oh, was it Shuhei Yoshida? Yeah, it was yeah Shuhei Yoshida was the one that was saying. And he was like, those guys need a PR team, which is really weird for a couple of reasons. It wasn't a great PR strategy because he didn't have a PR person helping him, and in the end, he is an indie developer. 
Which is, is pretty damning. Way to fucking distance yourself yeah, from that yeah. studio, like... Because the way PS, like Sony, were really pushing that as a triple Well, game. there's also a quote from a community manager who's since left Sony. And he was like, this was from two years ago. And he says, we are putting our full weight behind this game. We are treating it like any other AAA Sony release. Mm-hmm. So their tune sure has changed. Yeah. I guess as well, Sony's involvement was for the physical copy. It, they weren't involved with the downloadable version on mm. the PS Store and or the P, PC version. So I guess they have a bit of wiggle room to be like, he said those things, not us. But they didn't refu- refute it or they didn't say, Sean, you know, you're putting out a game here and I think you might be given some half-truths. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, did all they do is like facilitate the like digital release of it? Like, What was Sony's actual involvement in it? It sounds like it was just to facilitate the release and just to be like, we want something E3 on the stage of E3. In like, that, that case, it. it's really weird to push it like they did and not make sure that like your man had some PR help. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm sure that's another thing that we will definitely be talking a little more about at the end of the year. Because the way Sony handles indie games usually is they're part of a montage at the end of a trade show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'll just be like a tree in a montage with like 20 different games and you've no idea which one's which. Yeah, with a few yeah. like close-ups of Kratos thrown in there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to switch these last two. Firewatch is going to be a film. Okay, so we have gotten a lot of new listeners since we first talked about Firewatch. Mm-hmm. And so I guess we need to explain that we kind of hate Firewatch. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't like that game. So I was trying to think about the best way to put it. I think the way Firewatch tells a story is fucking awesome. I think it's a really cool way to tell a story. Like, really interesting with the walkie-talkie and kind of the exploring and stuff like that. I think that the story Firewatch tells is terrible. Like, it's a really bad story. It's meandering. It doesn't have a point. It doesn't have a central theme even. And I know people say, like, the central theme is your man trying to escape his problems but that's established in the first two minutes and then it never goes anywhere. That's bad storytelling to me. Look, you know, I know people disagree. I know that's a mm-hmm. really well-regarded game. And, like, I'd love to hear why people like it if they do like it. But just one by one, we all came to the conclusion that we don't like that game. It's a disappointing game. It yeah. really is. And it's getting a film. This is shocking because the best part, I think, of the game for me was Ollie Moss's art design. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the pace you put on it as a gamer going through it, through the forest with your compass and seeing the beautiful world that's been designed, that was kind of the most positive aspect. And the um, voice, uh, the voiceover by the two actors as Henry and Delilah. Amazing performances. Uh, and the dialogue was pretty good. Yeah. But the overall story is the weakest, weakest aspect for all three of us. There's some good banter. Yeah. But that's as far as you could say. If you try and like, I'm gonna I've, like I looked up some of who this. Do you think it'll actually come out? No, never, not in I, a million this years. Is here, I think it will. It's like it's it's from Good Universe. So this is Joseph Joseph Drake who set up um, Good Universe, a TV company, uh, sorry, film company, and he was in a partnership with Seth Rogen where they made Fifty Fifty. This is the end. Um, this is the end. So they've kind of put in. They've done a lot of partnerships where they have delivered on films. Um, another. Partnership was with Sam Raimi with their like um, Ghost House Pictures, and they've like they're like the what's the blind horror film that's going around? Don't breathe. Yeah, 
like again had their hand in some of this stuff so these guys are pu- actively getting shit met which is interesting because I thought this was like something that was just gonna die in the water but they want they want a relationship with this film um, game studio Campo Santo to go on in the future so when they make a game they're gonna make a film yeah. to go along with it and Firewatch is the first one I still I just can't see it ever really? happening ever I think I think this, sure, is, this is going to be vaporware. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll see the trailer for this film before we watch the Last of Us movie. Mm. <laughs> do you remember when they were going to yeah. do that? Also, the fucking Ass Creed movie is out in like a month. Ah, that's a bit different though. Like, uh, like Assassin's Creed is like multi-billion-dollar franchise. But these are guys who who like think of themselves as artists who want to create this like yeah, artist community around making these like collaborative effort film efforts getting stuff made even with all that I just cannot see it happening but John it's a beautiful game the live action a live action version of this just turns into a manic pixie dream girl film like you may as well cast Zach Braff in it it might now now we're talking (laughs) now we're talking Zach Braff in it up Seth Rogen (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly give me some weed yeah and our final story and we might just make this our final form. Palmer Lucky funds the Trump meme machine. So this is a really weird story, and there is a couple of layers to this, but essentially, Palmer Lucky, like, kind of inventor... You know, the boy mm-hmm. genius, the boy genius the behind the the I would say the golden boy of uh, game sure. of like gaming technology for the last two or three years has recently been outed as someone who what's the name of the group Nimble America who's a funder of Nimble America and Nimble America is a group dedicated to bringing meme magic to real life. And what that means is that they want to use memes and internet culture to influence socio-political affairs. Specifically to promote Trump in this current election. To promote Trump and to bash Hillary. Yeah, Hillary bashing memes. Yeah. Um, And this has gotten weird for a couple of reasons. Because for starters, um, Palmer was keeping this pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. And like in one way, it's like, okay, look, if he wants to fund a pro-Trump group, it's his money. Like whether you agree with him or not, it's his money. He can do whatever the fuck he wants with it. But this isn't like just a pro-Trump group. This group is also has some pretty nasty ties to like kind of like white nationalism and even like neo-Nazi stuff. And it's a really bad scene. Um, the group on the front page featured a story about Mexican rapists at the borders. Like this is, this is racism one one kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, so he made the Oculus Rift. This is the next step in towards a better future. Yeah. And the guy, in he's charge 24 of, years old as well. Yeah. He's 24. Like I, I can remember when I was 24, but yeah, this guy's pro-Trump, but he's a malicious pro-Trump supporter by the sounds of it. Yeah. It'd be different if he was openly funding different campaigns, but mm-hmm. he's funding the bad ones. Yeah. Um, 
And what's kind of interesting is that, like, the backlash against him since this. Like, I thought this was going to be kind of, uh, this was going to be a bad week for Parmaluki. But no, like, there's game developers, like, pulling their support for the Oculus Rift. Mm-hmm. And it... Uh, the, the, the guys that made Fez, Phil Fish, what, what's his thing? Polytron? Mm-hmm. His, his VR game uh, is not coming out on the, on the Oculus anymore. Same with Soundstage. Yeah. This is to go on top of the Oculus having a really bad pre-order issues yeah. as well, which meant a lot of people flocked to the Vive and now with the P- Sony PS. Even just in the headlines VR. and stuff, I hear so much more about the PSVR and Vive than I do the Oculus, and that's without this. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's bad. Like for Palm- Palmer Lucky actually released a statement on this, and I think today or yesterday, and it was that. This kind of group, the thing he was interested about the group was that he, that they were using like internet culture to try and influence politics. And I could, and he was like, he's since kind of pulled back from them because he doesn't like the way he's going. And he himself has says, I'm voting libertarian, but it's still a really bad look on his part. And like, what this really makes me think about is like, just that line between like creation and creator. Like at mm-hmm. what point do you start being like, Man, the the dude who wrote um, Ender's Game, Ender's Game, is like a fucking homophobic piece of shit. Yeah, but that's a great book. But that guy's a fucking dirtbag. Yeah, and it's always a weird one to try and walk. I think mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he did not. <laughs> that, that was not Woody a Allen. serious comment. Woody Allen Woody married Allen, yeah. his problem, mm-hmm. but um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know anything about Michael Jackson. That was it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was so. Yeah, and like, like especially like listening to I was listening to Giant Bomb talk about it today, and like they seem to think that's it. Like Palmer, look, he's done. Like he's not. That's it's game over for him. It won't have. It's not game over, is it? In terms of being the face of Oculus Rift and that company, like. And this is the kind of thing that get, that like companies want to mm-hmm. distance themselves from like a million, months. especially tech companies. Yeah, they really, really don't like. Yeah, like I mean, we're talking about like tech and get video games are going through this like growing pains with um, talking more about like female characters and characters of other races and stuff. So then when you get like the golden boy, who's twenty four years old, who's like this guy was on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah who's like funding like racist memes you're kind of and like even his name was nimble rich man it was kind of yeah that's the real fucking like fedora 4chan yeah it's crazy because now people are like going through like his internet receipts Mm -hmm. what's known as where they're going through like all the things he's liked on instagram and all the things he's faved on twitter and that his girlfriend is pro-trump but she goes to a lot of trump rallies and his girlfriend i think was she had some involvement on the wrong side of Gamergate. Yeah. Can imagine. And then he was fading those tweets. But, like, it's all there because you write in ink on the internet. Mm-hmm. And people have nothing else to do but, like, go through all those receipts. And, like, just to be clear again, like, whatever, whether you, like, you support Trump or don't support Trump, like, it's not just a Trump thing. It's, like, this group and its affiliations, not, like, they're pretty fucking bad. 
Yeah, it's like if he really likes Trump or whatever, donating to his campaign is donating to is different than donating to a group. That's it's it's no it's no different from anyone else. Content. Like you know, donating yeah. to a, a like political party mm-hmm. and like I'll I'll do it. I think it's interesting as well because like you know, Oculus obviously is tied to Facebook. Then Facebook is um, guy who owns Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. He's like he's been very vocal in his pro Hillary. So within the infrastructure of that company, this is a really bad look for Palmer. A lot of Silicon Valley and American tech companies would be liberal. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine, like, yeah, people seeing him at stuff after that. It's gonna be as nice an experience. Yeah. Imagine, like, kind of meeting Palmer Lucky goes from being like, oh, cool, Palmer Lucky, to be like, what's that asshat, Palmer Lucky? Palmer Lucky was approaching, like, Gabe Newell levels yeah. of affection. Like, people, like, he's this happy go lucky hobbit who doesn't wear shoes, who mm-hmm. made virtual reality. Even after his time cover, which people destroyed him because it was hilarious, yeah. he was still kind of like, that's so him. Like, that's... yeah, and like, I, I really, sweet, innocent yeah. kid. I respected him for his reaction to that because he was like, I don't care. Like, I don't mm-hmm. care if people think I look dumb. Like, that was cool. But yeah. It's weird because, like, his actual intentions are kind of lost and all this. Because I could actually, I could believe that he was like, oh, I like the internet and stuff. I don't know what this group's about and just not looked into it. Like, there is a slight possibility that happens. But fuck, dude. Like, but isn't that the exact, like, definition of privilege where he's got so much money that he can be the nimble rich man and not really look into what this group does? Like, I think that's a sore point as well, where it's like, you could probably do good with that money, but instead you're like, meh. Yeah, but I guess it's it's different to him being like, yeah, I agree with all this racist bullshit. Yeah. It's just like, he's a 24-year-old guy, he got super rich super fast, I can I guess I can envision a scenario where that happens. I think I would always research what I was funding, especially if it was political. You would, but... I'm not a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's a weird one. So, as a little extension to that story, I thought one other thing we'd cover is Neve. What did I do? You supported some pretty out there political groups, including the PlayStation VR. Oh, <laughs> I was just like, shit, what have I done? That's Niamh. right, I know it, I know oh. it. Neve, you probably pre ordered VR, and I thought it might I just did. be fun to talk about that. Um, I don't know. I kind of I was just like, fuck it, I'll do it. It's out on the 13th. It's either that or Mafia 3. <laughs> yeah like so, you have to get one of those <laughs> that's how it goes I'm just like you know the way your experience would be or didn't sell you mm-hmm. it kind of made me be like this is where the weirdest games are going to happen this is going to be where the weird walking sim experiments are going to happen did you see like VR Chernobyl walkthrough is going to happen like this is like it's an interesting point in gaming technology where we get at consumer-based VR headset that you can just walk into a shop and buy. So I'm, like, really excited for that. Um, So I just kind of took the plunge and pre-ordered. I don't know if I'll get it on October 13th because a lot of pre-orders sold out really quickly on Amazon, but I got it through Smith's because they're always good for that stuff. Surprisingly solid. Yeah, yeah, they are. Smith's a good distributor. Mm -hmm. Ken Black, my main man. Mm -hmm. So I I I feel kind of, like, null on PlayStation VR because it's, like, we tried it at like a comic convention and I'm like, I'm super uncomfortable around large groups of people. And so even when I had the headset on, I couldn't switch my brain off of people being like, there's people all around you. Same here. In my head, I was like, shoot cool, Neve, shoot cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, 
so yeah, I haven't a goddamn clue where I stand. Like, it, I definitely am sold, but I'm curious to use yours. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like I'm gonna buy all my software with it physically, so I can bring it to people because I think that's how you get people to into this is people putting on the headset in the environment. Are you ever worried, Neve, that we never left? Always, all the time. Just just layers and layers of lies. Mm-hmm. So okay, look here, here's here's how it should go down. Okay. They ship you out your box, and it's lovely, beautiful, elaborate box. And you open it up, and it's one of those boxes that takes, like, half an hour to open. It's got, like, all these layers and, like, boxes within boxes, and then finally you get to it. You get to the last box, and you open it up, and there's nothing in there. Because that's where you put the VR that's already on your head, which you've been living in all your life. I used to get really freaked out about the theory that we're in a program. Yeah, we the, are the uh, Truman Show phenomenon. Yeah, where it's like the furthest thing we can see with a telescope is how far the program has been programmed and the smallest thing with a microscope. That freaks me out because it's possible. Mm-hmm. If like I'm just well, a- there was like a scientist like a while ago earlier this year, and he was like, "Yeah, I've run the math. We're like definitely in a program," <laughs> and like everyone was just like, "Okay." But but the thing is, even if we were, it wouldn't mean anything because this is our reality now, anyway. Yeah, that's how I kind of feel about it. It's like, yeah, maybe I don't know. So we, like, we we all accepted it. Mm-hmm. It's like if we create AI and like it can all think for itself and grow and progress. That's just creating another world. Yeah, and that was I think part of his theory. It was like, given how technology advances and mm-hmm. how long time has been around, the chances of us not being a virtual reality are so tiny. But I mean, I like I don't I don't know about that or anything. I just thought it was an interesting way of putting it. Well, I need the headset to break the wall, John, to find out. Yeah, but you can't. You don't need to put it on. You need to take it off. There's no video footage of like 150 years ago. Just saying. Just saying. Like they didn't even have VR headsets back then. No, but they didn't have like any way to like document stuff. No. Like no no books, no paintings. Like like there's nothing. Mm-mm. It's not real. No. Dinosaurs, they're just ghosts. Well, no, dinosaurs are. Actually, you know, let's not go there. <laughs> they're actually dragons. The ones that had wings, they're they're dragons. Like, think about it. Yeah, no, definitely. Just saying, like dragons and dinosaurs, the same thing. Um. Oh, just on my um on my conspiracy update, uh, I'm not into flat Earth stuff anymore. I, I've uh, I've done some, run some tests. It's not um it's not scientifically viable. He's into like what I am into now is the the big circle. I was I was going to talk about the cubed Earth. And uh, that's just a flatter times fucking six. I know. Yeah, I've cracked it. It's great. Um, I, again, I'm just going to extend my open challenge to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Once again, you're a fucking phony. I'm going to debate you on this podcast and I'm going to ruin you. We'll see you next week, Neil. <laughs> um, okay. And with that, we're going to move into our loose drop. We defeat the boss, and there's a treasure chest, and we open it up, and we are going to share the gifts with you, dear listener. Our very precious listener. So, I've been doing some looking into Silent Hill recently, and there was actually a very recent video on a prototype game of Silent Hill. I think it's called Silent Hill Broken Covenant, and it is by the guys who did... Silent Hill Shattered Memories, which is a crazy underrated game. That game's fucking excellent. And, like, it's not by Team Silence, but it's still really, really good. And this is, like, a prototype version from them. 
I thought it looked like kind of terrible, like, but it's still fascinating to see what could have been. You were going to be a priest in this game who blessed the Silent Hill monsters to release them from their from their torture. Um, it's a really cool little eight minute video, so I'm going to drop it. Brian, right. what do you got? Um, I recommend again the Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero, especially the audiobook. Something really really nice to listen to while you work. Uh, I'm also going to recommend a YouTube channel by this guy called Joseph Anderson, who's been doing videos for almost a year, and he does hour-long gaming critiques on the Soulsborne series and on Uncharted and a few other kind of like PS4 titles in between, I guess. Um, He only has 15k subscribers, which I was not a lot for the quality that he puts he, out. He definitely deserves more than that. Yeah, so I think everyone should just like watch one or two of his videos and please subscribe to him. I think he's really, really good. Uh, he's another guy that you just put on stuff while you watch. Um, but I really, really liked his Uncharted 4 critique um, because he just... Because he is very, very critical but he is a nice guy and he enjoys Uncharted he just enjoys critiquing stuff and he says, like, it's all constructive. Mm-hmm. Even though he is deconstructing. Um, I really don't like the idea that people think you don't like something just because you're being critical. It means, like... It, uh, it means fucking, you like something I'm, like, a lot. I'm, I'm not even that. at the point where, like, I'm willing to argue that anymore. Like, you're a fucking baby if that's mm. how you think. It's like... Yeah. He's made an hour-long video on Uncharted. He probably likes Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Like, that's you, the thing, yeah. Like, but like, people are like, you, you can't say such mean things. He's like, he's not being mean. He loves this game. Like, like, he keeps saying, like, I really love Uncharted 4. It's my favorite Uncharted 4. But here's a list of things that are wrong with it. And he like tries to treat the film or treat try, tries to treat the game like a film, which which is fair because the game tries to be a film so mm-hmm. much. It tries to be so cinematic. But he talks about all the glaring plot holes in it. And God. the weird character motivation moments. And like, like a lot of my favorite stuff, like the problems with it become like something I kind of love about it. Mm-hmm. Like, like Deadly Premonition is like the most classical example of that. If you fixed every problem with Deadly Premonition, that would be a different game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, his channel is fantastic. I recommend it. Yeah, he should have more subs. Definitely. Yeah. Cool guy. Neve. So, my loot drop is the case of the Golden Eagle. So, a really rich philanthropist, he's a Canadian man, called Ron Shore, commissioned an 18-pound gold eagle to be made. The gold eagle was encrusted with diamonds, white cart gold for its top of its head, and beneath its feet is the precious 400-year-old emerald from a Spanish, a sunken Spanish treasure trip. Uh, what the fuck is going on? Aye, aye, aye. I'm telling you about this this man who commissioned this giant golden eagle statue. Yeah. So he made this statue. This is real, by the way. And it's worth about six million. And the guy's idea with the statue is <laughs> to promote his treasure book. So he's made a a great treasure book where you have to answer 20 questions at the end of each each chapter and you can possibly uncover this gold eagle. The reason he's done it is because his sister-in-law died of cancer. So instead of donating the money to cancer, he wants to try and make more money through the search for the gold eagle he's created, 
which is now probably one of the fifth largest gold sculptures. It's about 30 centimetres high. It's crazy. It's a modern day treasure. And it's hidden somewhere on, on planet Earth. That was the plan and that people would buy this book from his website. So it's just used to get this book sold. And you would figure out where this eagle is and some other smaller prizes like silver eagles. Okay. But the guy's golden eagle was stolen when he was transporting it to his car after a concert. Ocean's 14. The guy is inspired hugely by stuff called like Survivor, National Treasure, Pirates of the Caribbean. And that's what he says. The questions at the end of each chapter are based on that and kind of general knowledge. You also have to go to some of the sponsor websites to find out some of the other clues. So it's all about making money. So suddenly this eagle gets stolen because he was like, why didn't have a security team? This thing, this thing is worth six million. And it got stolen in the night on the street. And And now out there in the world is this gold eagle statue. Sorry, just there was a lot to handle there. What was the original purpose of this golden eagle? The man made the golden eagle because he said it was to honour his sister-in-law's death. She died of breast cancer. So he wanted to fund breast cancer research by making a treasure game where people bought his puzzle book. And at the end of the book, there was questions that they would have to figure out the answer, which unlocked a map, which led them to the golden eagle, which he commissioned to be made. It has a 400-year-old precious emerald in its base. And he didn't think of just selling that? No, no. Like, he's a narcissist. Anyway, my loot drop is a video of this man talking about the gold eagle statue and how you can either buy it for a couple of million or you can win it. And it's really interesting. But not anymore, because it's stolen. Yeah, because it's stolen. They They neglect to say that on the website now. I think it was an insurance fraud thing. Like, he was just like, shit, like, I'm not going to make this money back from this crazy eagle project. Um, I'm going to fake it being stolen. Because why was there no security? So the video is just him talking about this amazing gold statue of an eagle. And it's just rotating. But it's like these really cheap firework effects. And at the end, he's like, if you're in media, please get in contact with me on my number. And gives out his number and his email address. So it's just... We're in media. Yeah, we're in media. Let's fucking break this case wide open. So next week we're going to have Neil deGrasse and we're going to have this man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson will not be here for long. Trust me. So um, that's it. It's it's the video of the man and his gold eagle. I just love the idea that someone has stolen... They've totally melted it down. Like all the jewels have been pried off that thing and melted it down. If it was really Or maybe it's like... It's like... Like sitting up on like a PlayStation Two Slim in like Brazil or somewhere. <laughs> yeah, some drug lord has yeah. it. He's having yeah. a great time with it. So it's just the case of a modern treasure that was stolen. And with that, the way I see it, the only appropriate way to close out the podcast now is with a dramatic reading of the Kingdom Hearts story explanation provided by listener Rebecca. Read by Yours truly, Brian. A brief Kingdom Hearts synopsis for you. Some dude has split himself up into 13 different parts across time, much like Voldemort's Horcruxes, to create vessels to become the Seekers of Darkness, in the hopes that they will one day battle the Seven Warriors of Light, which will somehow bring about an ancient Keyblade. Our beautiful boy Sora is probably one of those seven warriors of light 
I love that it's probably, we don't even know. Neve, if you interrupt again, (laughs) you're off the podcast. But none of them are confirmed. Maybe the princesses of heart from the first game are the warriors of light? Who knows? Anyway, Organization 13 from the second game, those dudes in the black coats, was kind of a hoax, and most of the members were likely tricked into joining with the false premise of getting their hearts back. So, that Zahanort (laughs) could use their bodies for his own gain. Some were aware of the plan, though, and totally into the idea, as revealed in Dream Drop Distance. Basically, this is all going... This is all going to come to a head in Kingdom Hearts 3, and there's going to be a big war, probably, if the game exists. I'm so more confused than anything else. Wow. What are you confused about? I, I think I'm going to play Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> that sounds fucking cool. And we got, other, we got a few other people responded to that as well. I want to thank anyone who, who responded. We just don't have time to get to them all. But, um, guys, that is going to do it for episode 33 of the strongest video game podcast. Let's fight a boss cast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. We will see you you in two weeks. And you can email us at askletsfightaboss at gmail.com. What's up, Brian? Askletsfightaboss at gmail.com. Link in the description. You can also find us on Facebook. You can send us a message or a public comment. You can, uh, like, be mean to us on YouTube, you know, like... Or SoundCloud. Yeah, or SoundCloud. There's so many tools to be mean to people on SoundCloud. Yeah. Oh, do people aren't mean on SoundCloud, are they? Oh, <laughs> you